This is Space 101.1 LPFM, Magnuson Park. That sound can mean only one thing. That's right, time for another voyage exploring the past, present, and future of the old Oregon country. Come aboard and get set to ply the waters of the Pacific Northwest, metaphorical and otherwise, on another thrilling episode of Cascade of History. And now, stumbling out of the cluttered purser's office of the SS Columbia, here's your host, Felix Bonnell. Good evening and Merry Christmas. This is the Christmas special from Cascade of History. I'm Felix Bunnell with Space 101.1 FM and Space101FM.org. We're ordinarily on live every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Pacific Time. We talk to people all around the Pacific Northwest, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, British Columbia. And we talk about all things related to history, historic preservation, museums, historic sites, old locomotives, old ships, stuff like that. But since Christmas falls on Sunday this year, it seemed like a good time to dip back into the archives of a show that I used to produce back in the 90s and early 2000s called Holiday Express. On that show, I was on live at another local station, KBCS, over on the campus of Bellevue College. I'd be on live from about 10 o'clock at night on Christmas Eve till about 2 o'clock on the, in the morning on Christmas Day. Anyhow, I had this kind of smorgasbord of holiday material from the great Pacific Northwest that I started recording about 25 years ago. Um, I did that uh, Holiday Express show from 1999 until 2004, I believe. And I've got the archive still around, so I've got a bunch of surprises we'll, we'll play over the next hour. We're going to hear from Wiley Gustafson. Wiley's the guy who does the yodel for Yahoo. He's a wheat farmer over in Dusty, Washington, over on the far eastern part of the state. Then we're going to hear uh, that old Clement C. Moore poem, The Night Before Christmas, but read by Chris Wheatus, who played J.P. Patches. And then a little surprise from Stan Borson, here on the Cascade of History Christmas Special 2022. I want to a one Dashing through the snow In a one-horse open sleigh O'er the fields we go Laughing all the way Bells on bobtails Ring making spirits rise What fun it is to ride and sing A sleighing song tonight Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells Jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse Open sleigh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh! Oh, dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh, o'er the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on Bob's tails ring, making spirits rise. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. T'was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The children were all nestled, all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced through their heads. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the crest of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below, when what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver, so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be Saint Nick. More rapid than eagles, his cursors he came, and he whistled and shouted and called him by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer, now Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Downer and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky, so up to the housetop the coursers they flew, with a sleigh full of toys, and St. Nicholas too. 
and then in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes how they twinkled, his dimples how merry, his cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. A stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke, it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk and laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Sleigh bells ring, and I am listening, but I am turning and twisting. Because I'm itching up here and then I'm scratching down there. I'm walking in my winter underwear. Now the front is all battered and the back is all tattered. But when I'm cold to the core, I crawl through the trap door and up into my winter underwear. Well, I don't care if it rains or snows or freezes. I am so warm, I just don't give a hoot. I put on all the stockings I can locate. And then I wear two pair of trousers at my suit. But then I start to perspire. Yeah, then it sets me on fire. Because I'm itching up here and then I'm scratching down there. I'm walking in my winter on the rear. I got them at Nordstrom's. Boy, there's a bunch of Swedes that are doing good, you guys. Wow! Walking in my winter underwear. Yeah, sure. Hey! We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. A Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. A Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas. A Merry, Merry, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you. Stan Borson on the Cascade of History Christmas 2022 special. That was uh, recorded live at an event. I think that was one of the Northwest TV holiday reunion programs I put on at the Museum of History and Industry from, oh boy, from 2000 to 2003 or four. I think. A bunch of different TV performers from the good old days of local television would put on a little holiday show, and Stan was one of the performers. And before that, we heard J.P. Patches reading The Night Before Christmas, and Wiley Gustafson doing Jingle Bells. Now, speaking of TV, coming up next, I've got Jeff Renner, the old uh, King TV weather forecaster who was on that station for many years and who I interned for back in the late 80s. I asked Jeff to prepare a little weather forecast for Santa. And then I got a couple of local songs, and uh, I think, yeah, we're going we're gonna to hear a, an excerpt from A Christmas Carol read by another famous local TV performer. We'll see if you can guess who it is, or I think on the recording, uh, this guy identifies himself. But anyway, uh, we'll, we'll make it a surprise until it comes on. It's the Cascade of History Christmas special here on Space 101.1 FM in Seattle, streaming everywhere at space101fm.org. I'm Felix Bunnell, and now we get back to the holiday treats on Cascade of History. Hello and Merry Christmas, Holiday Express listeners. This is King 5 meteorologist Jeff Renner with a special weather advisory and aviation forecast for Santa Claus. As a pilot and flight instructor myself, I know what information Mr. Claus will need as he makes his way around the world on this special holiday. And I'm happy to do my part to help. Hope you're listening right now, Santa. First, let's look at current conditions at the North Pole. It's 20 degrees Fahrenheit below zero, with light and variable winds. Dew point is about minus 25, and the barometric pressure is 980 millibars, holding steady. 
Ceiling height is 2,500 feet with broken clouds. Visual flight rules, or VFR as we call it, are in effect. So what can you expect, Santa, as you make your rounds? Here's my Holiday Express forecast. In the Northern Hemisphere, conditions are generally favorable for flying reindeer-powered craft with only a few exceptions. Santa may run into snow showers in the Alps and the Himalayas, as well as rain in parts of India and the Southeast Asia. In the Southern Hemisphere, where summer's just begun, the weather is almost perfect. Just remember to extend the wheels on the magic sleigh because there isn't any snow in the lowlands. It's warm and dry in most of Africa, South America, and Australia this time of year. However, flurries are expected in Antarctica. So fly safely, Santa, and have a safe trip back to the North Pole. This is meteorologist Jeff Renner saying Merry Christmas to Santa Claus and everyone else tuned in to this year's edition of the Holiday Express. Marley was dead to begin with. But before I go any farther, let me introduce myself. I'm Boris S. Ward, the second meanest man in the world. Yeah, don't forget that. Anyway, Marley was dead. There's no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, the chief mourner, the cook, four people who swept outside, and Scrooge himself. himself. Change for anything he chose to put his name on. Ha, Scrooge. Good close friend of mine. Old Marley was dead as a doornail, we said. Scrooge knew he was dead, of course. Of course he did. How would it be otherwise? Scrooge and, and he were partners for I don't know how many years. Ha, ha, maybe 15. Scrooge was his sole executor, his, his sole administrator, his sole assign, his soul on the bottom of his shoe, his soul everything else, his body and soul. And even Scrooge was not dreadfully cut up by the sad event. <laughs> but that was he because he was an excellent man of business and on the very day of the funeral and solemnized it with a doubted, undoubted bargain. Oh, that's tough. The attention of, the dimension of Marley's funeral, the mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. There's no doubt that Marley was dead. Poor Marley's dead. Poor Marley's dead. This must be a distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm going to relate. If he were not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died before the play began, there could be nothing more remarkable in his taking of a stroll that night in an easterly wind upon his own ramparts. <laughs> I like ramparts. Parts are good. Ramparts spelled backwards is scramp math. There could be nothing other middle-aged, nothing more than middle-aged gentleman rashly turning out after a dark and a breezy spot, say, St. Paul's Churchyard, for instance, literally to astonish his son's weak mind. And he had a weak son with a weak mind, let me tell you that. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood, years afterward, above the warehouse door. Scrooge and Marley. The firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. I never liked that part. Sometimes people knew to business called knew that the business called Scrooge Scrooge, and sometimes Marley Marley. But answered both names, it was all the same to him. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand grindstone Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous, and all-around bad guy. Hard as sharp as a flint, which no steel had ever struck out the generous fire, secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. He was a closed guy. A lot like me. You get that way, being around JP. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gulp, made his days and eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. Not as good as mine. <laughs> but when you're like me, Boris S. Ward, that's what you got to put up with. External heat and cold had put little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather could chill him, no wind that blew was bitterer than he, no falling snow was more intent upon its purpose, no pelting rain open to entreaty. Yeah. Foul weather didn't know where to leave him. That's it. The heaviest rain, the snow, the hail, sleet, even the U.S. mail couldn't even boast of an advantage over him in one respect. They often came down handsomely, and Scrooge never did. He was an ugly guy, a lot like J.P. 
Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say, with well, had handsome looks, my dear Scrooge, how are you? They never said that. When will you come to see me? No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what, it, what, what time it was. No man or woman ever once in his whole life inquired the way to such a terrible place. I think I said that good. And when they saw him coming out, he would tug his owners in doorways and up courts, and then would wag their tails, the dog would, and say, no eye at all is better than an evil eye, dark master. <laughs> a lot like me. But what did Scrooge care? It was the very thing he liked, to edge his way along the crowded paths. Every item in them, round, fills with a dozen of months, presented dead against you. I may have skipped a page. The clerk, the, the clerk in the tank voluntarily applauded, becoming immediately sensible of the impropriety. Let me hear another sound from you, Mr. Big Shot. <laughs> right, eleven, seven years dead, mused Scrooge, and, and traveling all the time. The whole time, said the ghost, no rest, no peace, incessant torture of remorse. You travel fast, said Scrooge. On the wings of the wind, replied the ghost, almost as fast as Boris S. Wart. The ghost, on hearing this, set up another city and clanked on his chain so hideously in the dead silence of the night that the ward would have been justified in indicting it for a nuisance. Huh, talk about a bad guy. I'm nothing compared to him. <laughs> the voice was soft and gentle, singularly low, instead of being so close beside him. And who and what are you, the Scrooge demanded. I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past, inquired Scrooge, observant of its dwarfish stature. <laughs> no, your past. Perhaps Scrooge could not have told anybody why. If anybody would have asked him, but he had a special desire to see a, a spirit in his cap and begged him to be covered. What? exclaimed the ghost. Would you so soon put out with worldly hands and the light I give? It is not enough that you are one of those passions made this cap force me through the whole trains of years. What a friend I have in Scrooge. Scrooge. He's, he was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl in a morning dress whose eyes were in tears and sparkling in the light that shone out the ghost of Christmas past. The end. To all of you other Borises out there, to all of you other Scrooges out there, <laughs> I hope you're having a happy time during this time of the year that we dislike so much when everybody is happy and, and giving gifts and stuff. What kind of a place is this? Nobody even knows who we are anymore. <laughs> that still always makes me laugh. Um, <laughs> Bob Newman, very interesting guy. He passed away a couple of years ago. Um, we recorded that Christmas Carol excerpt backstage, I think, at the Museum of History and Industry, the old one in Montlake, the one that's since been torn down. I'm trying to remember what the occasion was. I think it was just a regular afternoon, and that was the only place I could find to record him. Anyway, I, I wish I had him doing the whole book. I could listen to that for the whole couple hours it would take to do that. So, Okay, uh, Christmas and radio. That's, that's the crux of this whole uh, Holiday Express show going back to 1999. I didn't know it at the time when I when I approached KBCS about wanting to do a live show on Christmas Eve that would go into Christmas morning. I didn't know that in 1906, that's purportedly, allegedly, uh, speculatively, when the very first broadcast of The Human Voice took place on Christmas Eve, 1906. So me wanting to do a show on Christmas Eve, 1999, and not having any idea about the history of this guy, Reginald Fessenden, putting on a, a show, really, and he put on this little show on Christmas Eve, 1906... The fact I didn't know that, and I was inspired to want to do a Christmas Eve radio show, I think there's, there's, something, there's something cool there about radio and Christmas Eve. And that was kind of the thesis of this old Holiday Express show, that audio entertainment, particularly spread by local radio, people listening in their homes, um, sharing an experience of listening to some holiday music or holiday poem or some religious material from, from Christmas, that ties people together in a way that was not possible on that scale before the advent of, of broadcasting, which really you know came to really rise in the early 20s. But anyway, I don't want to do a history lecture. I just want to play cool old audio. And speaking of cool old audio, it's been 90 years to the day. Christmas Day 1932 was when the, uh, the monarch of Great Britain, who was King George V, 
It was the first time the monarch gave a broadcast to the entire empire, you know, all around the world when the British Empire stretched all around the globe. King Edward V uh, gave a, excuse me, King George V gave a, gave a little uh, Christmas greeting in Christmas Day 1932 by way of the BBC's Empire Service, which later became the World Service. That had just debuted six days earlier, that, that Empire Service. So it made sense to mark Christmas 1932 by having King George V give a Christmas greeting. So we're going to hear that. Um, I also, I read that King Charles has already, well, yeah, he pre-taped his message. He didn't do it live. Um, he did it uh, a week or two before Christmas. He taped it. And it's for television now, of course. Anyway, so here's King George V. Then we're going to hear a song from the Garfield High School Choir uh, here in Seattle from the early 1960s. They're doing a song called Three Kings. And then one of my old favorites, which I think we already played once on Cascade of History this year, um, Pat O'Day talking about the uh, real Santa Claus on KJR. It's the Cascade of History Christmas Special 2022. I'm Felix Bunnell, and Merry Christmas. Here comes King George V. And you don't need to stand up for the king, because this is, you know, we're not his subjects. We're citizens. Through one of the marvels of modern science, I am enabled this Christmas Day to speak to all my peoples throughout the empire. I take it as a good omen that wireless should have reached its present perfection at a time when the empire has been linked in closer union. For it offers us immense possibilities to make that union closer still. It may be that our future <coughs> will lay upon us more than one stern test. Our past will have taught us how to meet it unshaken. For the present, the work to which we all equally bound is to arise at a reasoned tranquility within our borders, to regain prosperity without self-seeking, and to carry with us those whom the burden of past years has disheartened or overborne. My life's aim has been to serve, as I might, towards those ends. Your loyalty, your confidence in me has been my abundant reward. I speak now from my home and from my heart to you all. To men and women so cut off by the snows, the desert, or the sea, that only voices out of the air can reach them. To those cut off from fuller life, by blindness, sickness, or infirmity, and to those who are celebrating this day <clears throat> with their children and their grandchildren, to all, to each, I wish a happy Christmas. God bless you.
because many of you grew up listening to KJR back in the 60s and the 70s, and you may remember at Christmas time that the real Santa Claus was always on the air talking to the little boys and girls. People were fascinated that we would keep a Santa on duty all day, but what we actually did was we pre-recorded the conversations, and there was a whole set of tapes for little girls that called and for little boys and for younger boys and younger girls, and it was my fun to be Santa Claus, so now I'm going to give you a voice you may recall out of the past. Ho, 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 and hi there, little boy. This is the real Santa Claus. Have you been a good boy this year? Well, naturally, in the meantime, Mommy would have put the youngster on the phone, and the little boy would say, Yes. Oh, that's good, because Santa's looking forward to coming down your chimney with lots of wonderful presents this Christmas. So anyway, Santa would carry on this conversation. The little boy was actually talking to a tape, and every time the little boy would talk, then there'd be a pause, and the disc jockey would press the button, and old Santa would talk. So I thought you all... Number one, might enjoy hearing how that was conducted. And number two, have uh, you might enjoy hearing again a very Merry Christmas to all you listeners of the Holiday Express from the real Santa Claus.
The Ventures, that great Tacoma band with their rendition of Silver Bells from their amazing 1965 Christmas album, where they took traditional, well-known Christmas songs and filtered them through pop songs of the day. Now, I can't quite put my finger on what song Silver Bells is being filtered through for that particular version, but I did remember talking to Don Wilson, the, one of the, the two founders of The Ventures, talked to him I interviewed him a couple times and asked him about that Christmas record, and he said it was all his idea to do that, kind of meld the notion of these old Christmas carols with contemporary pop songs. I should have asked him, though, what Silver Bells is based on. And Don Wilson passed away in this past year, unfortunately, and uh, just a really, really nice guy. It was cool to see those guys inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame many years ago. Before that, we heard the Sonics with uh, their version of Santa Claus, which I think they wrote. Um, and that was led into by Pat O'Day talking about the real Santa Claus. And before that, Garfield High School and Three Kings. Three Kings and King George V. See what I was doing there? You see how the thread ties it all together? Anyway, um, we're about oh, halfway through the show here on this Christmas 2022 Cascade of History special edition, looking back at some of the cuts I put together for the old Holiday Express on KBCS. Uh, coming up next, um, Dick Foley, one of the members of the Brothers Four, which was a band of literally brothers from fraternity brothers from the University of Washington who became folk stars back in the right around 1960 or so uh, with their big hit Greenfields. And um, they put out a Christmas record in the mid 60s. And um, part of the back of that record, which was reissued on CD in the last decade, and it's definitely a great Christmas album. Um, uh, they included a little message about how they'd uh, how they'd toured Vietnam performing for the troops uh, over there and that kind of that and before it got really bad in Vietnam in you know, the mid-60s. Um, and so I asked Dick Foley to tell me about that. And this is from an interview I did with him probably 20 years ago, maybe longer, actually. And then we'll hear a song from that Brothers 4 album. And then we might have another surprise or two before we get to the end of the show here on the big Cascade of History Christmas special 2022. In fact, I know there's a surprise. You're going to want to stay tuned for this. Um, a rare, rare recording that uh, dates back to 2002. It was, I'll give you a clue, it was made at Safeco Field in a conference room at Safeco Field one afternoon, I think in July of 2002. My friend John Kessler went with me to record it. Uh, John hosts the Blues Show on uh, KNKX on Saturday and Sundays and is just a top-notch audio guy. There's nobody more talented. And when I went to record this little surprise we're going to hear in a few minutes, I didn't want to mess it up with my crummy audio equipment, and so John came down. And he he did it as a as a favor. It was great, and the audio is just top notch. So anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself, but stay tuned for this really cool holiday surprise. But right now, it's time to hear from Dick Foley of the Brothers Four. We were all about the age of a lot of the servicemen and women from the United States who were serving in Vietnam in the in the mid to late '60s, and I think all of us, because we didn't pull any military duty of our own felt that we wanted to support the people who were called upon to be part of it. We made two trips to South Vietnam, one in late 1966, and we were there just for about 10 days. We went back uh, in early 1967, and we spent two more weeks in South Vietnam, traveling all over the country. We were very portable because uh, we were non-electric. We were just guitars, banjos, and one bass, and so they could throw us into a helicopter and take us anywhere. We stayed there for two weeks doing six to eight shows a day, and by the time we finished that tour, we were just ragdolls. Looking back, I think it was one of the most rewarding experiences we have ever had. I remember one particular story. The first time they flew us out to a base, the uh, chopper pilot had seen us in concert at Ohio State, and he said, okay, you guys put on a heck of a show for me back at Ohio State. Now it's my turn to put on a show for you. And he took us up on that chopper, and we did what they call contour flying right over the surface and skimming some of the palm trees on our way to our first show in Vietnam. So very memorable experience. Long time ago in Bethlehem, so the Holy Bible say, Mary's boy child Jesus Christ was born on Christmas Day. Hark now, hear the angels sing a new king born today. Shining sun and heard a choir from heaven sing. 
Here it is. It's the big. Uh, it's the big exciting part of the show. This is, um, I, you know, I, I I don't know when I had this idea to do this, but I was talking to all sorts of different people, having them record Christmas things for me. Um, you know, JP Patches the night before Christmas. I think I had Patty Murray record um, the Polar Express, that kids book. I had Gene Godden read uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Anyway, some of those some of those recordings have only been played once or twice on the air. This one, this next one's been played a few times, um, but it's it's still the ending of it always gives me the chills. For some somewhere, I got the idea to take the old O. Henry story, "Gift of the Magi," and have it read by two famous voices and sort of split it up, kind of splitting up the duties. And who better to split up the duties of two voices on a recording than the voices of the Seattle Mariners, Dave Niehaus and Rick Riz? So here they are with. Uh, you know, it's a gift of the Magi, but I like to think of the informal title of this piece as Gift of the Mojo, here on Cascade of History's Christmas Special 2022 on Space 101.1 FM, space101fm.org. Hello, everybody. This is Dave Niehaus, along with Rick Riz and producer-engineer Kevin Kremen. And we're along the railroad tracks at Safeco Field in Seattle, ready to climb aboard the Holiday Express for a special reading of The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. For the top of the inning play-by-play, here's Rick. Well, thank you, Dave. Hello, everybody, and Merry Christmas. This is Rick Riz. It is a fine day for old Henry, and I don't mean Hank Aaron. Let's get started right away with this classic tale, especially for the listeners of the Holiday Express. Here we go. $1.87. That was all. And 60 cents was in pennies. Penny saved one and two at a time by bulldozing the grocer and the vegetable man and the butcher until one's cheeks burned with the silent imputation of parsimony that such close dealing implied. Three times Della counted it, $1.87, and the next day would be Christmas. There was clearly nothing to do but flop down on the shabby little couch and howl, so Della did it which instigates the moral reflection that life is made up of sobs, sniffles, and smiles, with sniffles predominating. While the mistress of the home is gradually subsiding from the first stage to the second, take a look at the home, a furnished flat at $8 per week. It did not exactly beggar description, but it certainly had that word on the lookout for the mendicancy squad. In the vestibule below was a letterbox into which no letter would go an electric button from which no mortal finger could coax a ring. Also appertaining thereunto was a card bearing the name Mr. James Dillingham Young. The Dillingham had been flung to the breeze during a former period of prosperity when its possessor was being paid $30 a week. Now when the income was shrunk to $20, the letters of Dillingham looked blurred, as though they were thinking seriously of contracting to a modest and unassuming D. But whenever Mr. James Dillingham Young came home and reached his flat above, he was called Jim and greatly hugged by Mrs. James Dillingham Young, already introduced to you as Della. 
which is all very good. Della finished her cry and attended to her cheeks with a powder rag. She stood by the window and looked out dully at a gray cat walking a gray fence in a gray backyard. Tomorrow would be Christmas Day, and she had only $1.87 with which to buy Jim a present. She had been saving every penny she could for months with this result. $20 a week doesn't go far. Expenses had been greater than she had calculated. They always are. Only $1.87 to buy a present for Jim. Her Jim. Many a happy hour she had spent planning for something nice for him. Something fine and rare and sterling. Something just a little bit near to being worthy of the honor of being owned by James Dillingham Young. There was a pier glass between the windows of the room. Perhaps you have seen a pier glass in an $8 flat. A very thin and very agile person may, by observing his reflection in a rapid sequence of longitudinal strips, obtain a fairly accurate conception of his looks. Della, being slender, had mastered the art. Suddenly she whirled from the window and stood before the glass. Her eyes were shining brilliantly, but her face had lost its color within 20 seconds. Rapidly she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its full length. Now there were two possessions of the James Dillingham Youngs in which they both took a mighty pride. One was Jim's gold watch that had been his father's and his grandfather's. The other was Della's hair. Had the Queen of Sheba lived in the flat across the air shaft, Della would have let her hair hang out the window some day to dry just to depreciate Her Majesty's jewels and gifts. Had King Solomon been the janitor, with all his treasures piled up in the basement, Jim would have pulled out his watch every time he passed, just to see him pluck at his beard from envy. So now Della's beautiful hair fell about her, rippling and shining like a cascade of brown waters. It reached below her knee and made itself almost a garment for her. And then she did it up again nervously and quickly, once she faltered for a minute and stood still while a tear or two splashed on the worn red carpet. On went her old brown jacket. On went her old brown hat. With a whirl of skirts and with a brilliant sparkle in her eyes, she fluttered out the door and down the stairs to the street. Where she stopped, the sign read, Madame Sofrani, hair goods of all kinds. One flight up, Della ran and collected herself, panting. Madame, large, too white, Chilly, hardly looked the Sofrani. Will you buy my hair? asked Della. I buy hair, said Madam. Take your hat off and let's have a sight at the looks of it. Down rippled the brown cascade. Twenty dollars, said Madam, lifting the mass with a practiced hand. Give it to me quick, said Della. Oh, and the next two hours trip by on rosy wings. Forget the hashed metaphor. She was ransacking the stores for Jim's present. She found it at last. It surely had been made for Jim and no one else. There was no other like it in any of the stores, and she had turned all of them inside out. It was a platinum fob chain, simple and chaste in design, properly proclaiming its value by substance alone and not by meretricious ornamentation, as all good things should do. It was even worthy of the watch. As soon as she saw it, she knew that it must be Jim's. It was like him, quietness and value. The description applied to both. $21 they took from her for it, and she hurried home with the 87 cents. With that chain on his watch, Jim might be properly anxious about the time in any company. Grand as the watch was, he sometimes looked at it on the sly on account of the old leather strap that he used in place of a chain. When Della reached home, her intoxication gave way a little to prudence and reason. She got out her curling irons and lighted the gas and went to work repairing the ravages made by generosity added to love, which is always a tremendous task, dear friends, a mammoth task. Within 40 minutes, her head was covered with tiny, close-lying curls that made her look wonderfully like a truant schoolboy. She looked at her reflection in the mirror long, carefully, and critically. If Jim doesn't kill me, she said to herself, before he takes a second look at me, he'll say I look like a Coney Island chorus girl. But what could I do? Oh, what could I do with a dollar and 87 cents? 
At seven o'clock, the coffee was made, and the frying pan was on the back of the stove, hot and ready to cook the chops. Jim was never late. Della doubled a fob chain in her hand and sat on the corner of the table near the door that he always entered. Then she heard his step on the stair, away down on the first flight, and she turned white for just a moment. She had a habit of saying little silent prayers about the simplest everyday things, and now she whispered, Please, God, make him think I am still pretty. Let's pause right here to remind you that you're listening to the Holiday Express. I'm Rick Riz, along with Dave Niehaus and producer-engineer Kevin Kremen, and we are midway through O. Henry's The Gift of the Magi, and it is an incredible tale. For the bottom half of the story, here's Dave with the play-by-play. Thank you, Rick. My, oh, my. Have we got a great story going here? Let's see what happens next as this remarkable young couple tries to work their way out of a Christmas Eve jam. Here we go. The door opened and Jim stepped in and closed it. He looked thin and very serious. Poor fellow, he was only 22, and to be burdened with the family. He needed a new overcoat, and he was without gloves. Jim stopped inside the door, as immovable as a setter at the set of quail. His eyes were fixed upon Della, and then there was an expression in them that she could not read, and it terrified her. It was not anger, nor surprise, nor disapproval, nor horror, nor any of the sentiments that she had been prepared for. He simply stared at her fixedly with that peculiar expression on his face. Della wiggled off the table and went for him. Jim, darling, she cried, don't look at me that way. I had my hair cut off and sold because I couldn't have lived through Christmas without giving you a present. It'll grow out again. You won't mind, will you? I just had to do it. My hair grows awfully fast. Say Merry Christmas, Jim, and let's be happy. You don't know what a nice, what a beautiful, nice gift I've got for you. You've cut off your hair? asked Jim laboriously, as if he had not arrived at that patent fact yet, even after the hardest mental labor. Cut it off and sold it, said Della. Don't you like me just as well, anyhow? I'm me without my hair, ain't I? Jim looked about the room curiously. You say your hair's gone, he said, with an air almost of idiocy. You needn't look for it, said Della. It's sold, I tell you, sold and gone, too. It's Christmas Eve, boy. Be good to me, for it went for you. Maybe the hairs of my head were numbered, she went on with sudden serious sweetness. But nobody could ever count my love for you. Shall I put the chops on, Jim? Out of his trance, Jim seemed quickly to wake. He enfolded his Della. For ten seconds, let us regard with discreet scrutiny some inconsequential object in the other direction. Eight dollars a week or a million a year, what's the difference? A mathematician or a wit would give you the wrong answer. The Magi brought valuable gifts. And that was not among them. This dark assertion will be illuminated later. Jim drew a package from his overcoat pocket and threw it upon the table. Don't make any mistake, Dell, he said, about me. I don't think there's anything in the way of a haircut or a shave or a shampoo that could make me like my girl any less. But if you'll unwrap that package, you may see why you had me going a wild first. White fingers and nimble tore at the string and paper. And then an ecstatic scream of joy. And then, alas, a quick feminine change to hysterical tears and wails, necessitating the immediate employment of all the comforting powers of the Lord of the Flat. For there lay the combs. The set of combs, side and back, that Della had worshipped long in a Broadway window, Beautiful combs, pure tortoise shell with jeweled rims, just the shade to wear in the beautiful vanished hair. They were expensive combs, she knew, and her heart had simply craved and yearned over them without the least hope of possession. And now they were hers. But the tresses that should have been adorned, the coveted adornments, were gone. 
but she hugged him to her bosom, and at length she was able to look up with dim eyes and a smile and say, My hair grows so fast, Jim. And then Della leaped up like a little singed cat and cried, Oh, oh! Jim had not yet seen his beautiful present. She held it out to him, eagerly upon her open palm. The dull, precious metal seemed to flash with a reflection of her bright and ardent spirit. Isn't it a dandy, Jim? I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to look at the time a hundred times a day now. Give me your watch. I want to see how it looks on it. Instead of obeying, Jim tumbled down on the couch and put his hands under the back of his head and smiled. Dell, said he, let's put our Christmas presents away and keep them a while. They're too nice to use just at present. I sold the watch to get the money to buy your combs, and I'll suppose you put the chops on. The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men, and brought gifts to the babe in the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas presents. Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication. And here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in the last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Oh, all who give and receive gifts, such as they are, wisest. Everywhere they are wisest. They are the Magi. My, oh my, what an unbelievable finish. Friends, on behalf of the entire Seattle Mariners organization, this is Dave Niehaus, wishing everyone tuned in to the Holiday Express a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. See you at spring training. A radio treat will be presented on Radio KAYO on Christmas Day. The men and women of the Union Pacific Railroad take pride and pleasure in presenting seven of the city of Seattle's outstanding high school choirs and choruses in a special two-hour Christmas music program. Listen to Kale from 12 noon until 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Christmas Day for this outstanding public service entertainment feature presented by one of the world's outstanding railroads, Union Pacific, for carefree travel that is best. That's the end of the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thanks for listening to Cascade of History, where every Sunday night live, 8 o'clock Pacific time on Space 101.1 FM and streaming at space101fm.org. We're all about Northwest history. We're the only live show with stories and news about Northwest history here on Space 101.1 FM. Have a great Christmas, and here's to 2023 for all sorts of great stuff coming from Space 101.1 FM the mightiest little radio station in the Pacific Northwest. I'm Felix Bunnell. Merry Christmas and good night. And let's let J.P. Patches, Gertrude, and Stan Borson sing us out with one of the grand finales from the old Northwest TV holiday reunion at Mohai 20 years ago. Okay, let's bring everyone out again. We're going to sing uh, a little song, a finale. It is Christmas time, maybe Jingle Bells. Are you all in good voice today? All you great entertainers, okay. come out. Let's all have them all in. come out here. There, Stan. Yeah. Very good. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way, all the way, and oh, what fun it is to ride in a one horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one horse open sleigh. To the snow in a one horse open sleigh. Or the fields we go, laughing all the way. Ho, ho, ho. Making spirits bright. Tonight, ho! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Ho! What fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. To ride in a one-horse open We wish you a Merry Christmas. Yeah. Wish you a Merry Christmas. Okay. We wish 
wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. To the greatest to the greatest. I noticed when we all. started singing, people were leaving. That sound means the steamer Columbia has reached the end of another thrilling voyage around the Pacific Northwest. Be careful as you go ashore. Watch it, watch it. That's a slippery spot there. Oh, I'll bet that hurt. When that whistle blows once again, be sure to meet us at the landing and be ready to climb aboard a little more carefully next time for Cascade of History. Cascade of History is produced in Seattle by Felix Bunnell. This is Boris Esworth, the second meanest man in the world, wishing all of the listeners of the Holiday Express bad, bad, bad times and a lousy Christmas. Merry Christmas. From CKLW.